Great to see every last one of you. Uh, we've got a bunch of folks watching with us online as well. Let's give them a big old round of applause. Glad all of you guys are with us. Hey, if you're with us for the first time today, I just want you to know we love you already, okay? So this environment might be a little bit new for you. you got all these people lifting their hands and people singing loud and uh, songs you maybe never heard before. Uh, but we're just hoping and trusting that God is able to grab a hold of your heart and your life. And you're really able to see Jesus for who he is. We're trying to strip away as many of the... Uh, out of the excesses as possible so that the love of Christ can really grab a hold of every single one of us. So we are thrilled you're here. You actually don't even have to believe everything we believe in order to be here. We just want you to know we're glad you're here and we're going to trust for God to grab a hold of your heart and your life and do everything in you that he wants to do. His love for you is unending. It's unconditional. And that love is what compels us and transforms us into the people that he calls us to be. So I'm excited about today. Glad all of you. Yeah, you can give him a big old round of applause. Thrilled, thrilled to have you with us. I, uh, a few few months ago, actually, we, we started a series uh, here uh, on the book of Colossians, and I thought I was going to get through the entire book, and we only ended up getting through chapter one. Some of you may remember this. Uh, we started with, uh, I think the first sermon title in that was like an oldie but a goodie. Uh, there was one red dot. Uh, other things, uh, I think it's a surprise. Uh, who turned off the lights? Uh, these are different sermon titles that we had all from Colossians chapter number one. And if you want to get caught up to speed with any of those, feel free to do it. Because what we're going to do uh, beginning this weekend is begin to dig back into this book of Colossians. But we're going to go to chapter number two. And I'm, I'm hoping uh, that after we're done, uh, some of the mystery and, and even some of the fear that is sometimes connected with people as they approach the scriptures is, is taken away and that all of us begin to have a, a hunger and a thirst for God and his word, that we don't just need a preacher to be the one that inspires us to want to connect with God, but we have a hunger in and of ourselves to want to connect with God. You guys with me on that? That we don't always need someone else to prime the pump for us to worship, but we're moved quickly to worship because of what God has done in and through our lives. So I'm hoping and praying that this encourages all of you. The title of today's message is, You're Worth Fighting For. You're Worth Fighting For. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're Worth Fighting For. Tell them, You're Worth Fighting For. Tell your second choice, You're Worth Fighting For. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me make sure your second choice knows that as well. You're worth, you're worth fighting for. These, these words um, might be exactly what someone needed to hear. You're worth fighting for. Because maybe uh, as they're looking at their life, they're not feeling like they're worth fighting for. Because everything else in their life is telling them the exact opposite. Every family member might be telling them the exact opposite. Maybe their coworkers are telling them the exact opposite. It's just good to come to the house of God and remember, be reminded you're worth fighting for, that there's some people that are praying for you, some people that have your back, some people that are believing for God to do great things in your heart and in your life. You are worth fighting for. I don't want us to be a people that walk with our heads held down and our shoulders hunched over. I want us to be a people that live with our heads held high, not because we're perfect, but because the glorious grace of Jesus Christ has changed us and transformed us from the inside out. You are worth fighting for. Despite what your bank account says, you are worth fighting for. 
Despite the car you drive, you're worth fighting for. Despite what your ex says about you, you're worth fighting for. Despite what your grades say about you, you're worth fighting for. I pray that gets branded on your heart today. I pray when you leave here today, you're thinking about this. This is not just some good saying that I have here. In actuality, what Christ did for you and for me is he fought for us, him going to the cross is him fighting on our behalf, fighting against sin and shame and condemnation and even death itself. He fought for you and for me. You're worth fighting for. But let's go to Colossians chapter number two. I'm going to begin reading in verse number one, Colossians two, verse number one. It says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, fighting for you. And those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me yet, not not met me yet personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and unified in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Uh, The Bible is, you know, one book, but it's one book made up of 66 books. Uh, And this particular book, Colossians, was written... Uh, by a real person at a real time to real people in a real city, and the city was Colossae. Colossae uh, was a city connected to two other cities, Laodicea and Aeropolis, and they were about 100 miles inland from the very influential city of Ephesus. So these three cities, uh, Colossae, uh, Laodicea, and Aeropolis, they had experienced an economic boom. Things were prospering in amazing ways. I mean, Amazon had moved there. Toyota had moved there. Everyone was moving to this part of the country. And I'm telling you, business is booming. People are going from middle class to upper middle class. I'm going from lower class to middle class. I mean, everyone was upwardly mobile. Things were going the right direction. And then uh, the trade route shifted, things adjusted, and what was once a a really blossoming and prosperous community became a second-rate area, a second-rate city. And the trade route and other things that took place in that particular time, it it took away a lot of the, the fire and the, and the bling, if you will, that Colossae had. This might be similar to the guy who was a, a football quarter, a quarterback in high school and had the letterman's jacket and everyone's like, oh my goodness, you're the next whatever. And now they're the next beer belly. And they're thinking, man, I've had better days. I've had better days. There was a day that, you know, you were at the top of your class, but life hit you, and now you're looking at your life, and you're saying, if I go back to my reunion, my friends are going to look at me, and they're going to think I'm less than because I'm not measuring up to what they put in, put in the yearbook about me. There are better days. I'm, now, I'm not operating at my peak. 
There was a time I was known for more and I was doing more and I was helping more and I was impacting more. I was more influential, but those days have gone by. So Colossae is experiencing this and I find it beautiful that the Apostle Paul would still even write a letter to a group of people that would feel forgotten, feel like they were left behind. And and here is the Apostle Paul saying, no, God has not forgotten about you. I don't care if you don't have that letterman's jacket anymore. The purposes and plans of God are still good for you. He's still on your side. He has not forgotten the agenda that he has for your life. So here, this this letter is being written in, in Colossians you need to know is one of the most arrogant of all the New Testament books. It's incredibly arrogant. It makes it abundantly clear that Christ is completely sufficient. That there is nothing that needs to be added to him or his work or his life in order for any of us to experience salvation. That Christ in and of himself is enough. He is fully and completely sufficient. And there were some heretics, there were some liars, there were some schemers that saw where this city was and saw where the church was and they they saw an open door, they saw an opening in the window and they crept in and they tried to begin to distort the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they began to try to get these followers of Jesus off of focus and they began to tell them it's Christ plus some other things that bring salvation. It's Christ plus your good works. It's Christ plus your good behavior. It's Christ plus you crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's. The Apostle Paul is saying, no, my friends, I'm telling you, I'm going to write this whole book to remind you. It's Christ plus nothing that equals everything. Christ in and of himself is completely sufficient. It's not Christ plus a wedding ring or Christ plus a 401k or Christ plus a good body or Christ plus this or that. It is Christ and Christ alone that is enough for you and I to have a right relationship with God. And he is making this abundantly clear. He's he's attacking these Gnostics, these individuals that would come in and they were trying to tell all the Christians about this higher knowledge. And if you had this higher knowledge and this deeper understanding, then you can even get to a place where bad things wouldn't even happen to you. You'd be at such a place mentally and spiritually that you'd be able to rise above all the problems of the day. That's a lie. It's a bunch of garbage. It's not even true. At times, this teaching has even crept into the church. People say things like, you know, if you have enough faith, if your confession is right enough, then nothing bad will happen to you. That's a lie. The reality is our Savior already set the example for us. You can do right and still end up on a cross. You can make all the right decisions and still hell come against you. As a matter of fact, when you choose to make all the right decisions, many times you are putting a target on your back where hell says, I need to be worried about that man or woman because that's someone that's here to kick down the gates of hell. There's no like higher knowledge you and I get to that all of a sudden makes us immune to the problems and the pains of this world. And the apostle Paul is writing and telling them, forget all this higher knowledge mess. I'm telling you, Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is sufficient and enough. So let's begin here in verse number one, because I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. I want you to know I'm fighting for you. 
I want you to know I have your back. I want you to know that I'm struggling for you. The Greek word here speaks of agony, like there's a wrestling match that's taking place. There's emotion that is connected to what's going on here. I want you to know I'm contending for you. And I just wanted everyone who's a part of our church family to know if you're not willing to fight for your marriage, we are. And if you're not willing to fight for your thought life, we are. If you're not willing to fight for your destiny, we are. You've got a whole church family that is willing to fight for you. And if you're tired, if you're, if you're listening to this today and your arms are a little bit heavy and your shoulders are a little bit weighed down, I just want you to know you've got an entire church family contending for you, fighting for you. We have your back. And that doesn't mean we get everything right all the time. It just means that there's some people that are praying for you. Do you know every single Wednesday we grab every single prayer card and not only the prayer cards, we actually pray for every person who is connected to our church and we get everybody. We pray for married people, single people, dating people, males, females. We pray for the next generation. We pray for business owners. We pray for people who don't have jobs. We pray for people who have all the jobs in the world. We pray for students. We pray for older people. We pray for younger people. We are covering the gamut because we want you to know there is someone that is contending for you there is someone that is praying for you there is someone that has your back and there are some times man you hit life you hit life you just don't have the energy you don't have that get up and go like you used to have to be able to fight you just needs to you need to know there's some other people that are like, hey, I, I've got your back. I'll, I'll hold up your arms for you. If you don't have the words to pray right now, I'll pray for you. If you're just going through a season right now where all you can do is cry, but you can't talk, I'll worship on your behalf. Do you know when the worship team shows up and the tech team shows up in the morning and they are here on this platform and they're behind the scenes, they're not here trying to sound good. We're here trying to contend for you we're trying to fight for you we're trying to set an atmosphere where the very power and presence of God can fill your heart and your life we are fighting on your behalf why 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 are there serve team members right now wiping your kids butts they don't know your kids and don't know you. And here they are changing your eight-month-old's diaper. Why? They're fighting for you. There are people that aren't perfect, but are people that have been forgiven and changed and transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And they've been background checked. All of these people, are they are doing this on your behalf, saying, we love you. We'll stand in the gap for you. We have your back contending for you. This is why I don't like it when people are like, well, um, I'm just, um, my walk with God is just between me and him. It's just me and him. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not true. I, I, I don't even really love, oh, I'm not be getting into too much here. I don't even really love the whole idea of like making Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. Because I feel like it can stop there with people. He's my personal Lord and Savior. Okay, but you know what starts personally is supposed to be supposed to be lived out corporately. You know that, right? It, it might start with just you, but it's never supposed to end with just you. Like, like you, yeah, you can be transformed on the inside, but your transformation is supposed to impact the world around you. You know that, right? 
So, so there are no island Christians, meaning you're sitting there all by yourself with no one else around you. That's not who the Bible was written to. Most of these books were written to the church at Corinth and the church at, at Colossae and the church at Thessalonica, written to a group of people who are passionately following Jesus, who need correction and wisdom and understanding and encouragement. This is not about you and I doing my own thing all by myself. No, it's about you and I being in community and a allowing the grace of God to shape us and mold us. And now I'm able to fight for you when you can't fight for you. And you can fight for me when I can't fight for me. Contending, contending. I'm not just contending for you. I'm contending for Laodicea and I'm contending for people I haven't even met yet. People I haven't even met yet. I was praying yesterday for people I haven't even met yet. You know, there are people that are supposed to be about a part of our church family that you haven't even met yet. That's why we're going to keep on launching more campuses and raising up more leaders, okay? And if you're like, no, I just want us to stay like we are right now. I'm just telling you, I'm willing to fight for people I haven't even met yet. Someone fought for me, so I'm going to keep on fighting for people I haven't even met yet. We were in Antigua a few, uh, this is a couple of years ago, actually, I was down there. We have our, our campus down there still going and amazing and it's beautiful and life-giving what God has done. Uh, but this is when Andrew and Hannah were down there as campus pastors. They've since moved up here and uh, we were down there and uh, we we're meeting in the Lucky Rabbit, uh, which is a club, which is the appropriate name for a club, the Lucky Rabbit, uh, with this huge mural of Snoop Dogg behind me smoking weed. I'm not kidding. That's where we met for church. Seemed appropriate to us. So we're there, and Snoop Dogg is worshiping with us, and we're singing these songs. All the power goes out. Power, just out. And we didn't quit. Didn't quit singing. Didn't quit preaching. Didn't quit, quit loving the kids. And all that we could talk about that day was if there's one more marriage that needs to be put back together. If there's one more young person who's not sure of their purpose and destiny, there's one more man or woman that's just kind of struggling, does, does my life even matter, and am I making a difference at all? If there's one person at all that's thinking about throwing in the towel, if there's one more person, we're willing to fight for that one more person. We're willing to serve for that one more person. We're willing to give for that one more person. We're willing to sacrifice for that one more person contending for people I haven't even met yet. Verse number two. We're only on verse number two. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to take my time, though, just, you know, taking my time. My goal, let's stop right there. My goal, my goal, I like that he has one. He has a goal. Has something he's shooting at. Has a target. My aim, my objective. What I find is a lot of us don't live with goals. We live with wishes. And wishes are a lot easier than goals because wishes, you like can do that whole thing, you know, with you have a, a cake and candles. You can close your eyes. And if you wish and then blow them out, anything can happen. That's what the movies tell us, right? The movies paint the picture. You can, you can wish to go from 13 to 30. Boom, just like that. 
can happen overnight. In an hour, 47 minutes, your whole life can be turned right side up. That's what the movies teach us. But that's wishing. That's not a goal. A wish, you don't need to give any, any, any energy, any effort. You can just kind of throw it out there into the universe and trust the universe to bring everything together. But a goal, a goal is like, hey, God, I see that you put this dream in my heart. I see that my marriage is not what I want it to be. My relationships aren't what they want it to be. I'm dating this person right here, and I think our relationship should be about more than it's about right now. I I want our relationship to be about you. That's a goal. And when you put a goal on it, then you put a plan in in connection with that goal. A wish, you just throw it out there, and you just hope everything kind of comes together. But when you put a goal out there, you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to, to give. You're willing to go a little bit extra. You're willing to give a little bit more. More. You're willing to lay down some more of yourself. A goal requires something of you. It's a wish to say, I want to be out of debt. It's a goal to say, okay, Dave Ramsey, give me my seven baby steps and let's work this thing. Let's work this thing. It's a goal. You and I, I want us to have a goal. Where are you headed And what's the plan to get there? And you don't have to have all the answers, uh, all the questions answered at the very beginning, but you at least got to know where you're shooting and where you're headed. For my wife and I, we've got a goal for our kids, okay? So since we want our kids to love Jesus, one of our our plans is we love Jesus. Because I'm not trying to get my kids to do something I'm not willing to do. I want a church that worships. So the reason I want, if I want a church that worships, one of the things that I do is I'm a worshiper as well. I want a church that's hungry for the things of God. I want a church that doesn't elevate man, but I want a church that lifts up the name of Jesus. So I got to make sure I'm a leader that's not just trying to elevate people, but I'm trying to elevate Jesus as well. Come on, help me here, church. I'm trying to make sure we get a goal. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? What are you willing to give up? Because there's all these distractions all around that will try to grab your heart and your attention. And there will be so many good things, just not the God thing that you're supposed to be focused on in any given season. My goal, okay, let me keep on going here. My goal, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. I'll stop there too. Encouraged in heart. I want to put courage in your heart. I know people could have showed up at church this weekend driving an Audi, but still be discouraged in heart. I know you can have thousands of dollars in your bank account and be discouraged in heart. Lord knows you can be broke and definitely be discouraged in heart. But we have gotten professional with our agents and we've figured out a way to put on a mask and make sure everybody thinks everything is strong and good. But in in our hearts, we're discouraged. 
And I like that the Apostle Paul here is saying, hey, I'm trying, my goal, my goal, I'm trying to get to your heart. I'm not just trying, I'm not just trying to get to the fake you, the agent you. I'm trying to get to the core of who you are. I want to get to your heart. That's my prayer as a church. I want to make sure we're preaching a gospel that doesn't just feel good to the skin, but gets into the heart of who you are. I want to make sure we're lifting up a savior that is not just about the, the, the superfluous and the, and the things that are on the exterior, but we're, we're serving a savior and preaching a savior that goes man i'll get to the core of who you are i'll deal with the parts of you that you don't want anybody to know about i won't just deal with the 95 percent that you put on instagram i'll deal with the five percent that you write in your journal i want to deal with that part of you and you and i have a savior who wants to get in there on that part so here he says i want you to be encouraged in heart and i want you to be unified in love again this is a prayer that cannot be fulfilled alone. You can't be unified with yourself. I'm unified. No, 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 no. There's no one but you. In order for there to be some unity, I mean, some things need to come together. Some reconciliation. Some things need to happen. That's one of the things I love about our church family. I love that we have people from different walks and backgrounds and life. And I, I, love, I love all of that. I love that people are from different parts of the country and even different parts of the world. I love that. But here is the Apostle Paul, and this is the same thing we're trying to preach here at Shoreline City, that all of those things become secondary to the person of Jesus Christ. Our identity is no longer our political party. Our identity is now the person of Jesus. Our identity is no longer just what our gender is or what our makeup is or where we're from or what we've been through our our identity now is found in Jesus Christ everything else becomes secondary to him being primary and I know in this day and age everybody wants to put us in these different little chunks and little different groups to try to separate us but Jesus says every knee will bow every tongue will confess that I am the Lord so now you and I come and we bow everything down to that then let the chips fall where they may after that but it's Jesus first, Jesus always. So he says, hey, I'm united in love so that, so that they maybe have, have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that, he's like got a, a goal on top of a goal. In order that they may know the mystery of God. I want them to know the mystery of of God. I put the answer on the screen. I'm going to ask you a question. It is found in the verse right here. It is not a trick question. All you have to do is keep reading the rest of this verse. You will know the answer to the question I'm about to ask you. Who is the mystery of God? Y'all did the best out of every single service. (laughs) Everybody was scared to answer that. They're like, uh, it's right there. Namely, Christ. These heretics are trying to say, hey, hey, psst, 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 come here, come here. I got some secret knowledge for you. Psst, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. Your pastor won't tell you this, but here's the real truth. Psst, 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 come here, 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 that's, that's what the masses are The masses are drinking that Kool-Aid. Let me tell you, there's these other books over here, these spiritual books that really show you the truth of who God is. Psst, 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 come here, come here, come here. No, 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 no. Apostle Paul says they're all lies. It's all smoke screens. 
It's all deception. It's heresy. I'm going to tell you where the mystery is. The mystery is found in Christ. That's where the mystery is. It's found in Christ. And it's in Christ alone. He says, in Christ, look, verse number four, verse number three, I'm sorry, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. It's like they're there, but you got to search for them. uh, Yesterday, I walked in, uh, went, went to our pantry, opened up the door, and we have four shelves on our pantry. Okay, the first one is, you know, pretty low. Second, Third one is about oh, five feet or so. Uh, top one is just about six feet uh, tall. And, you know, this little, little pantry. I go in. I, I see the third shelf. And I see, I see some Sour Patch candy that has been ripped open. And I see two strings. Like You can tell there were like eight strings in there. But now I see two strings left. And I see the candy wrapper. And I see all the, you know, on the Sour Patch, they have all that little sugar that's on the outside of it. I see all these little granules of sugar all around on the, on the shelf as well. But I don't see any person. L, immediately think about our four-year-old daughter. I know she was here. I have seen her. I have seen her take a stool, pull it all the way over to the pantry. I've seen her open up the door with her full body weight. Get that door open. I've seen her bring that stool in, and she knew we were hiding that candy on the very top shelf. And that canine sniffed her way. The canine cop sniffed her way all the way up to the top, found where we had hid the candy inside of this other basket, took it out, ripped it. Now I see it on the third shelf. So she didn't take it out of the pantry. She thought, I gotta, I'm, I'm in. I got to do it now. So she rips it open. But I think she must have thought someone was coming because she left in a hurry because everything was just kind of left there. But I respect her. Because she was searching. There was something in her that was saying, hey, I I, I want that. I'm willing to find it. And I feel like many of us in our walk with God, we're getting so used or we're praying for things to be so easy all the time. We want no struggle of the search. We want no struggle of the relationship. We want to pray and see it answered right away. And God is saying, hey, I can't grow you like that. In order for me to be able to mature you, you have to go through some seasons where it feels like I'm silent, but I'm actually still speaking. You have to go through some seasons where you think I've forgotten you, but you still stand on the word that say, I know he will never leave me and never forsake me. You have to go through some seasons where you're wondering, is God even for you? But then you begin to stand on the truth of this word and go, if he went to a cross for me, surely he can get me through this tragedy that I'm walking through right now. There are some things that you and I have to walk through and it helps get you over the top. It develops you. It matures you. It grows you and I. I don't want to have a church that is so moved by feelings that if we don't feel it, we don't follow. 
If we don't feel our relationship with Jesus, we don't follow. We got to wait for some other feeling or we got to wait for some other tragedy or we got to wait for some other difficulty to come our way in order for our eyes to be open. Let us be the types of followers of Jesus that it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If I'm at the top of the world or I'm at the bottom of the barrel, I'm still following you. You can have my whole heart. I'm not looking for a goosebump in order to follow you. I'm following you because you're good. You've changed me. You made me new. So he goes on here, he goes on, he goes on. He goes on, verse number four. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Because <sighs> everything that looks good and sounds good is not good. There's some fine-sounding arguments out there. But go with me to verse five. I'll end with this. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight. You guys are giving me pleasure in how disciplined you are. And how firm your faith in Christ is. How disciplined you are. This word carries with it the the, the understanding and the imagery of soldiers that are all in order. They're all in order. Things are lined up. How disciplined you are and how how firm your faith in Christ is, how stable your faith in Christ is. Can I just tell you, and you know this, if you've lived any life for any period of time, you know this. If you have put your faith in your boyfriend or your girlfriend, that is not a stable place for your faith. If you have put your faith in your spouse or your coworkers, That is not a stable place for your faith. If you have put your faith in your bank account or the economy, that is not a stable place for your faith. If you have put your faith in Instagram or Facebook and how people respond to you on Twitter, that is not a stable place for your faith. You and I need to put our faith in the one thing and the one person that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. He does not change like shifting shadows he does not change based on your weight or your looks or your marital status or your educational prowess he does not change based on whether or not you wrote a book or didn't write a book he does not change based on your if you have a phd or you have a ged he is the same and consistent no matter what and it's the only appropriate place for you and i to put our faith it is when our faith is in jesus that we are stable immovable you can't shake me I might be in prison but you can't shake me everyone might be stabbing me in my back but you can't shake me everything might be going to hell all around me but you can't shake me everyone might be speaking ill of me but you can't shake me or everyone might be praising me but you can't shake me they might be telling me I'm the best thing since sliced bread but you can't shake me I'm stable I'm firm I'm secure because I'm in Jesus my faith and my trust is in him I want a church, I want a church that puts their faith in him, in him, in him, in him. So that's just first five verses. Colossians chapter two. 
I can't wait to go through all of this. I can't wait. I'm going to tell you this, though. Your life and your world, and I'll dare to even say the devil, the, the enemy of your soul, will try to discourage you and stop you from being a part of the family of God, seeking the things of God, talking about the things of God. So do not be surprised when you have every distraction in the world telling you, don't go, quit, give up, watch online, do the, gonna be all these other things. And I'm telling you, you keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep surrounding yourself with the family of God, talking about the things of God, and you watch how God explodes new life on the inside of you. We're gonna walk through this word here. We're gonna allow the word of God to change us and transform us. Hey, bow your heads if you wouldn't mind, friends, just for a moment. If you're under the sound of my voice, you've never given your heart and your life to Christ. You've never made him number one. You never made him first in your life. But you're under the sound of my voice today. You're saying, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way. I don't want to be first. I want Christ to be first in my life. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to do something simple, but something incredibly bold. On the count of three, I literally want you to shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart and I want to give my life to Christ. Ready? One, two, three. Three, just shoot your hand in the air. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. What a beautiful moment. Moment of transformation and a new beginning for all these friends of ours. Celebrate what God is doing in your heart and your life right now as you're responding to him. I'm going to ask everyone in this place, do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart if you would not mind. On the balcony, on the floor, put your hand over your heart if you would not mind. Repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes, and today I give you my heart, I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, lift your heads up, church family. Let's clap our hands with enthusiasm. Celebrate this moment in your life.